When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It ain't the left side or the right side, then it must be the fin side. Thank you, Solo D. Welcome to another episode of On the Fin Side, recapping the Dolphins' victory over the San Francisco 49ers. They certainly keep things interesting for us. Uh, it's, it's never an easy win. Uh, Dolphins win on the last play of the game, thanks to a stop by Kiko Alonso and Dominican Sue and a slew of other defensive linemen. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on iTunes, and on YouTube. Uh, Paul, before we get to the football game, Jason Taylor nominated as a potential finalist for the Hall of Fame. Do you think he's going to get in this year? He's got a really good chance. I mean, he's a likable dude. He's got the popularity aspect outside of what he did on the football field, uh, from everything from Dancing with the Stars to his charity foundation. And then what he did on the football field as well is, is pretty astronomical. So. I hope so. I know his foundation's been a friend of the show. We've had Seth Levin on in the past, and, and I know Jason's listened to us in the past. And, yeah, he, he's a great dude who really deserves it based on his play on the field with, with everything else eliminated. He's likable, so I don't see why not. Yeah, I I think the likability factor um, is uh, what he does outside of football, the fact that he can get on, on camera, that he's, he's marketable. I think that's going to be the thing that pushes him over. I mean, obviously, based on his play alone, he could do very well. But, or he could probably get in there based on his play alone. But I, I think that pushes him in. Because the other side of that is Chris Dolman, Kevin Green. You look at these guys who, who took a while to get into the Hall of Fame, weren't first ballot guys, even though they were, you know, third and fourth all-time and or top five all-time in sacks at the time. Maybe a reason he doesn't. But eventually, Jason Taylor is definitely going to get into hall, the Hall of Fame. Um, Paul, let's move on to the game. Um, a, a few things. First, uh, Devontae Parker, Brandon Albert, Laramie Tunzel look like they're all going to be healthy for the Ravens game on December 4th. Um, do you see them playing? I wouldn't be surprised if at least two out of the three of those guys play. Definitely think Albert will be back. I mean, good God, the guy had six people pop his wrist back into place just so he could come back out in that game. I know he wants to be back out there, and, and I, I'm not going to discount the surprisingly great job that Sam Young has done at left tackle. Really isn't allowed very much, but Sam Young is not Brandon Albert. Hopefully Tunsil will be back. Hopefully Parker will be back. Pouncey's a guy that, you know what, don't rush him back. He's got that chronic hip injury. Steen has done a more than serviceable job at center, even though he had one noticeable flub in this game. Get Pouncey healthy. You're in a playoff push now. I know the Ravens are a tough opponent, but you got to get Pouncey healthy, and that's not going to happen playing him. See, I'm not all that worried about Mike Pouncey. I mean, I, I agree the Dolphins are a better team with him on the field. I think from a leadership and a communication standpoint at center, he's big, but uh, to me, getting Tunzel and getting Brandon Albert back on the left side is is the most important thing. Sam Young, like you said, I agree. He's done an admirable job filling in. That That's for sure. And when we signed Sam Young, I remember the Dolphins destroying him when he was a Jaguar last year in, in the second game. I thought, this guy's terrible. I mean, he's a downgrade from Jason Fox, but he has filled in admirably at that left tackle spot. So, 
Before the game started, Paul, Armando Salguero and Colin Kaepernick get into an incident where Colin pa- Kaepernick, just, just showing what a mental midget this guy is, um, has been against oppression for African Americans in the United States, which is, which is an important issue. Don't get me wrong. And then he completely devalues everything he's saying by showing up wearing a Fidel Castro shirt. And Armando Salguero, who has deep roots in Cuba, and his family's from Cuba, had a lot of problems. Uh, his family had a lot of problems in Cuba because of Fidel Castro that I won't get into, takes issue with him. I was really happy the way Armando Salguero st- stood up for himself. I loved the questions he asked about the issues. That really showed what type of moron Colin Kaepernick is. Um, Colin Kaepernick had a great game on Sunday, and that's the nicest thing you'll probably ever hear me say about Colin Kaepernick. Paul, your take on it. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I really didn't know much of Armando's history. Uh, I didn't know that he was born in Cuba. I didn't know that as part of legally leaving Cuba, uh, his family actually got torn apart where his father had to stay behind. So, I mean, it is nice seeing Armando speak from a position of his history and, and, and you name it. I'm not the biggest fan of most of his pieces. I think we've made that clear on the show. I don't like a lot of what he does journalistically, but I, I did think that this was a very valid thing that he brought up. It, it's this Colin Kaepernick thing. Unfortunately, it's been a hot button issue around the NFL. I really wish everyone early on had just kind of turned their back when he, he took a knee and was like, yeah, whatever, go ahead, take your knee, and, and just ignored it because the guy's an idiot. And good for Armando helping bring that to light. But, yeah, it, it's uh, I can't stand Kaepernick anyway. So, Well, yeah. and the thing is, <laughs> it, it, it could potentially be an issue – that or a conversation that he could start, but you've got to start with facts first. You think Colin Kaepernick's going to talk about 74% increase in murder police officers this year? Absolutely not. He's he's picking hand-picked, sensationalized, media-driven incidents that are spaced months apart and, and, and trying to say that, hey, I want to bring awareness to something. I mean, I'm sorry, but th- this can't be your poster boy. But let, anyway... Enough of that. Let's move on to the game, Paul. I, I got to tell you, I, I've watched. I did not watch the first quarter. I was coming back from Kansas City, but I have gone back and watched it since then. And I was thinking, you know what? By the second quarter, the Dolphins might be up two touchdowns already. Uh, not the case. Uh, seven, eight minutes into the game, by the time I got to my uh, fiance's house, the Dolphins were down seven to nothing. Forty ers had the ball close to midfield, and. They were getting the ball at halftime again. Then from that point on, the Dolphins tied the game at seven at the end of the first quarter, thanks to a Jay Ajayi uh, touchdown run. And then throughout the rest of the game, it looks like the, looked like the Dolphins were so very close at all times to blowing this thing up. And every time it happened, Kaepernick and the 49ers offense would come right back down the field and make it close again. The Dolphins at one point were up after a Leontay Carew touchdown, up 31-14 to 14 with 10 minutes left in the game. I'm thinking, you know, th- this is going to be a celebration here in the last 10 minutes. And then the Dolphins win the game by one yard. Hey, I'm not looking for style points, Paul, at this at this point of the year. But, man, oh, man, they, they sure do make it interesting, don't they? They really do. And, and you know, I really think there, there's one element that really could have changed this for the Dolphins, which is the Dolphins have struggled with, with mobile quarterbacks. Uh, I'm, I'm telling nobody a secret here. One of the big things is they get in that wide nine. The linebackers have run coverage responsibility. 
but they also have pass coverage responsibilities. So when most of your run defense falls to your linebacking core and they're peeling off in pass coverage once it's, once it's evident that it's not a run, now they're leaving a lot of big wide gaps for a mobile quarterback to take advantage of. And Vance Joseph has done a very good job this season of getting it and adjusting to some of the, we'll call them misconceptions that the defense has had at, at various points in time. I know early in the year it was Byron Maxwell and Tony Lippett playing too far off the ball, putting him at a disadvantage both in the short and long passing game, as well as some of the other ways that the defense was being deployed. So hopefully he figures out a way to set Miami up to spy a little bit better on mobile quarterbacks. On a positive note with that, though, now that Miami's the number six seed in the playoffs, I took a look at the playoff teams that are out there, and, and really there are not a whole lot of the playoff teams that have a super mobile quarterback for the Dolphins to worry about. Uh, within the AFC, I know Carr's got some mobility, but he's not really a runner per se. I know Alex Smith from the Chiefs can take off on occasion, but in reality, he's a pass-first quarterback. And then you look, you've got the Patriots. Brady's not super mobile, even though he's good at eluding pass rush. The Texans, it's Osweiler next. And the Ravens, Joe Flacco's <laughs> got all the mobility of Bernie Kosar, who really is a, a franchise quarterback from the past for the Ravens, even though he was with the Browns at the time. So, I mean, it, it's you've got all the mobility of the Heisman on, on three out of, of the other five teams in the playoffs. So Miami's defense... If Vance Joseph can't get that sorted out, is still in position to play well against the teams that they'd be facing in the playoffs. And even when you look at the seeds just out outside of playoff reach right now, there's still not a whole lot of scary mobile quarterbacks. Now, NFC-wise, you get the Seahawks with a mobile quarterback. And Dak Prescott does have some mobility as well. But really, there's not a lot of mobility to worry about in the playoffs. So if they can figure it out for getting there, um, some way to patch it together, they're in good shape from playoff time. Yeah, I, I think that's a good breakdown of why these mobile quarterbacks have success against the Dolphins. When they get into that wide nine, you've got the Cameron Wakes and the Andre Branches pushing their way up the field from the offensive tackles outside shoulder. And then when they do that, the quarterback can step up and, and run through the middle of the field. Marcus Mariota had 60 yards rushing. Tyrod Taylor had 35. But they were able to, uh, by and large, keep them under control. 60 yards may be a lot, but Tyrod Taylor, they kept under control. Kaepernick ran for 113 yards in this game. Unacceptable. But good thing is uh, over 70 of them were in the first, what, six, seven minutes of the game. So they, they did better, but still 113 yards, that's a lot. Kaepernick also threw for almost 300 yards, too. So, again, taking all the uh, what a moron this guy is out of the equation, uh, had a great game. Looked like the Colin Kaepernick of old. Really hope that he doesn't round back into the form, in, into form so that we have to hear more about him as the years progress. But that's another subject entirely. So... Paul, it's uh, it, let's let's take a look at the grades for the Dolphins. Let's start at the quarterback spot. Ryan Tannehill, twenty for thirty for two hundred ninety-six yards and three touchdowns. Yeah, and really that could have been twenty-two for thirty for three hundred and fifty yards and four touchdowns, if not for Devontae Parker's left arm, which is crazy to say. You know, Parker yep. could have ended up with an astronomical receiving day before he got hurt and left pretty early. So I really can't fault Tannehill whatsoever in this game. He took off at times and, and, and looked great. He had great uh, play action fakes and he looked completely focused and he had 
a zip on the ball that I haven't seen from him. He had confidence. And one of the coolest things, I don't know if you saw it, there was video from after the game, after Kiko went sprinting up the field with no helmet, where he and Tannehill basically had a midair collision celebrating at midfield. And it's just, it's good to see what he's doing, the way he's been finally taking leadership, the way I haven't heard a damn Matt Moore chant in over a month, which is amazing to me. I haven't even heard Matt Moore's name from most Dolphins fans, which is phenomenal. Uh, maybe we could finally get a better backup quarterback behind Tannehill in this offseason. But nothing short of an A for me here. He, he really led this offense uh, in a tight, close game, and I love watching him play now. I've got to give him an A as well. I mean, a few, a few stats I'll throw out here is, yeah, you're right, Paul. Uh, he went 20 for 30, and without Devontae Parker's left arm, could have been 22 th- for 30 for four touchdowns and over 300 yards. Also factoring in, Jarvis Landry dropped a few passes. Kenny Stills dropped um, a, a 20-yard pass that was right in his hands, too. So uh, you look at the last 66 minutes of football, Ryan Tannehill's 32 for 43, 443 yards and five touchdowns. And what I am very impressed by is that he is able to make plays now with his legs. I'm not talking about just running the ball, but creating time for himself. He doesn't always make the right read. He's got to improve that. But, yeah, very impressed by with what I've seen out of Tannehill. The last six games, Ryan Tannehill has a quarterback rating of over 105. And six games is a big body of work. And you factor in, Ajayi's gotten bottled up the last few games, and the offensive line has uh, missing its top three players here for the last game and a half. Man, oh man. Um, I'm excited with Ryan Tannehill. And I, I don't know if I've ever in, his, in my life with him been excited about him. I've always been satisfied. I mean, I've been satisfied at times. I've been underwhelmed at times. I don't think I've ever been excited about him being the quarterback. He's going to face two tests next couple of weeks, Arizona and Baltimore, that have better pass rush rushes and overall better defense. But anyway, I'm going on and on. I'm going to give him an A. Paul, uh, Jay Ajaye, um, over the last three games, averaging just 3.8 yards a 3.8 yards a carry how would you grade his performance at running back and the rest of the running backs too i think some of the fault with that does go with the fact that the line has allowed an odd amount of overpenetration um, at times throughout games because you'll see him getting his carry getting his yardage and then you'll see suddenly they'll call a running play and there's five guys already in the backfield when he gets a handoff I do think the offensive line has been admirable, but at the same time, we are playing with three backups right now. We're playing with Craig Urbic and Sam Young, who I think has done an admirable job and has done better than anybody ever could have expected, but also was wearing street clothes for a good portion of this season. I'm not going to fully fault him. I think he's done well with the opportunities he's gotten, and I'll give him a B here. Uh, I would like to see a little bit more out of him. I'd like to see him get back to blowing through holes and, and running over folks. But he has done that mixed in with some of the uh, the negative plays. Yeah, I'm going to give him a C, uh, very simply because 18 carries for 46 yards, not that impressive on the ground. But, hey, you know, the, the 49ers, I thought, had the right the right strategy here is, hey, we're going to bottle up Jay Ajayi, we're going to pressure Ryan Tannehill, and we're going to beat up this line that's missing three starters. And that was their plan, and it worked at times. But... Ajaye, I, I say that, hey, I, it, it, this performance in the last three weeks haven't taken anything away with how I feel about 
the guy now. Uh, he, hey, if you've got nine-man fronts and you're getting hit two, three yards in the backfield consistently, you're not going to be breaking enough tackles to be productive on the stat sheet. So moving forward, as the Dolphins get their offensive linemen back, I, I think we're going to start to see Ajayi run back into form. I think he's going to have 12 or 1,300 yards and make the Pro Bowl by the end of the year. But can't give him any higher than a C here just because of the stat sheet. Uh, Paul, uh, receiving-wise, I'll take this one. Devontae Parker shows the ability to just simply roll out of bed and, and make amazing catches. And it very easily, like you said, three catches for 64 yards could have been five catches for over 100 yards in back-to-back weeks. Kenny Stills is his usual self. Uh, you know, makes a lot of mistakes and makes a lot of big plays. And I'll tell you what, you look at some of the catches, though, Kenny Stills has made this year. You look at uh, the touchdown against San Diego that brought it from 10 nothing to 10-7. to You look at the 74-yard touchdown against the Bengals in the first drive of the game. Uh, you look at this game where Kenny Stills has a long touchdown again, and, and it makes the game 24-14. to 14. These are huge plays that are very, very impactful in the outcomes of these games. I swear, or he's on pace right now for 700 yards and seven touchdowns. I swear this past week I suggested Kenny Stills may get $7 million a year should the Dolphins get it, give it to him. You would have thought I shot the president. Uh, people think $7 million a year? No way. Well, I'll tell you what, somebody that young who can get, that, get, get deep that often – uh, good for him. Jarvis Landry, only 75 yards over the last two games. But you know, I'm liking that the ball is being spread out a little bit more. Leontay Carew, first career touchdown, good for him. And Deion Sims played every snap last week. This week he didn't miss many snaps. He had four, four catches for 47 yards. I am quickly becoming a fan of this guy. And the Dolphins have Deion Sims as a free agent at the end of the year. I'm hoping they can get him back for cheap. Paul, a um, few drop passes, a f- the receivers could have played better in this game, but hey, they they did come away with some some big plays. And and Deion Sims very impressed by he and Marcus Marquise Gray at tight end. Overall, I'm gonna give I'm you know I'm gonna give him a B. I'm actually going with an A minus for these guys, and and it very easily could have been higher if uh, not for Devontae Parker's pesky left arm. But like you said with Kenny Stills, he he makes impact play after impact play. If he made one more impact play, we'd be at eight wins right now. But you know, that was the first week of the year. It happened. He, he's made up for it since. And really, like, watching Deion Sims rumble through everybody uh, on that one reception over in the flat that should have been well short of the sticks and wound up going well past the first down. Watching some of those designed screens to uh, Marquise Gray. Watching Leontay Carew get his first touchdown of the season. And Jarvis Landry, I think he's going to be fine. I think one of the big issues with him right now my uncle and I both noticed during the game, there were times, and I know he's been nursing a shoulder injury, where you could see him kind of holding his arm close to his body and, and, and down, which you only do if the thing's killing you. So I really hope that whatever's going on with, with Jarvis's shoulder gets worked out because you could see that that's probably one of the things that's been hampering him right now. But yeah, blocking-wise, these guys put, put their all in every play. Receiving wise, they're 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 all over the field right now. They're really helping Tannehill ascend, and it's, it's easily an A minus for me. Yeah, and and I'll stick on that point there too, Paul. Is it, it actually may work out in the Dolphins' favor if they're looking at at locking up Landry long term after the season because he, 75 yards in the last two games, he's now on pace for 93 catches and just under 1,100 yards. I did not want J- Jarvis Landry after the season to be in a position where he could say, you know what, back-to-back years I have 110-plus 
110 catches for over 1,200 yards, and I'm your team's fan favorite. Oh, and by the way, I'm also probably the best kick returner in the league if I were to be given those opportunities. Uh, I want to see Jarvis Landry back. I want him here long-term, but I'm not paying him $15 million a year. Um, I'd like to be around the $10 million a year mark, and that, that's a conversation for another day. So overall, very happy with the receiving unit, the talent that they bring, and the youth that they have, too. Paul, the offensive line, uh, you know, we've touched on a lot of it. They didn't, they've done an admirable job the last game and a half, but even if we don't give them the benefit of the doubt uh, based on their talent level, how would you grade them? I actually give these guys a, a B um, in this one. I almost gave them a B plus here. Uh, Juwan James played exceedingly well. Um, really, since he got benched early in the year, he's really responded, and, and, and I'm so happy to see that. Jerome Bushmont is absolutely steady at right guard. I'm actually a bigger fan than some people are of Steen at center. And then you look at Urbic and Sam Young, the left side of our line, the vaunted left side of our line that's supposed to be Laramie Tunzel and Brandon Albert is Craig Urbic and Sam Young, two cast-off journeymen, and they are getting the job done while they're out there and, and, and holding the fort down. So for me, it's very easily a B especially with the fact that over half of the line is replacements at this point, and it can only go up from here. Yeah, admirable job for sure. Uh, I'm going to give him a C plus if, if I don't give him the benefit of the doubt. Ajaye, not many holes to run through, but then again, San Francisco was uh, really charging the line of scrimmage. They were playing eight, nine-man fronts throughout the game. didn't surprise me that uh, there weren't enough linemen to block them. And it goes back to what I said last year when I look at Craig Urbick and Bushrod and, and Anthony Steen. My problem with Dallas Thomas and Billy Turner is, like, I'm just looking for veterans who are going to get the job done. Just do your job somewhat, which Turner and, and Dallas Thomas really could never get done. And so I, I think that Urbick and Bushrod, I, I hope the Dolphins can get them back cheaply over the next couple of years just to, to add some depth. Sam Young at left tackle did, did give up some pressures, and I, I think he's in way over his head. Given that, he didn't ruin the game, and that's all I can ask for. I might be the biggest Juwan James fan out there. I, I don't understand the animosity toward this guy. Yeah, he was a mid-first-round pick, but Pro Football Focus has him ranked as the 28th best offensive tackle. Not right tackle, offensive tackle in football. He's 24 years old. He's 6'6", 320. He doesn't let up that many sacks, does get pushed back sometimes, and I think his run blocking, especially downhill, has improved big time. I said last week, too, I would give Juwan James $8 million a year and a contract extension, and I think it's well worth the money for that. Overall, I'm going to give this unit a C plus, but again, admirable stepping in the way that they did. Paul, moving to the defensive side of the ball, a lot of long drives from the San Francisco 49ers that almost ruined the game here against the Dolphins. Um, a couple of sacks, though. Um, an up-and-down game from this defensive line, too. How would you grade their overall performance? I'd actually give these guys a B-plus. I mean, most of the wrong responsibility does not fall on their shoulders in the way this defensive scheme, so I've got to account for that. Uh, I thought Indomitian Sue was, was absolutely a monster yet again, and I know Kiko Alonso gets a lot of credit for that game-saving play at the end, but if you look at it, Kaepernick wasn't getting in the end zone, and it was because of a superhuman effort by Indomitian Sue. Um, on that play. It's, <laughs> Kaepernick was already pretty well on his knees, bending over backwards away from the end zone with Sue hanging off of him when uh, Kiko came in and just lit him up, which I love seeing. But I, I 
yeah, it's Camp Wake. He was pressuring where and when he was able to when he got in the game. Andre Branch continues to show why Miami needs to lock this guy up. And really, you go up and down that defensive line, and everybody that played had some impact plays. So for me, it's very easy to give these guys a B plus. I'm totally with you on Andre Branch. Um, I, I think he may be one of the most important people for the Dolphins to re-sign moving forward. If you don't re-sign Andre Branch, then you are... When you look at age, when you look at production, Cameron Wake is going to be gone in a few years. I don't care how well he's playing right now. Jason Jones is uh, kind of a, a, a seat filler. Terrence Fiday, Mario Williams are terrible. And Deion Jordan, of course, you can't depend on him, and he's going to be a free agent at the end of not this coming free agency, but the year after. So you don't re-sign Andre Branch, um, and it, you're looking at a barren defensive end class there. And... I look at Branch against Joe Staley. You know, the first three quarters, I thought Staley con- controlled him very well, and I expected that. Staley's a great player, a great left tackle. In the fourth quarter, I thought Branch really turned it on, got a sack, and I thought in the last two drives, not only did he p- create good pressure, but he was also dropping back into coverage a little bit, made a few big plays there, too. Thought he should have done a little bit more spying there on uh, on Kaepernick. And Dominican Sue, a little bit quiet throughout the game, but a huge final drive. And you're right, Paul, what a her- Herculean effort there to stop Colin Kaepernick a, y- a yard shy. Cameron Wake uh, does his usual thing, gets a sack, could have been more, had some pressures, just a constant nuisance there. There are several defensive ends and defensive tackles I'm hoping pick it up. Jordan Phillips has not been playing that well the last few weeks. Earl Mitchell was pretty quiet. Terrence Fiday and Mario Williams, when you saw them on the field in place of of Wake and Branch, man, you saw a huge drop-off. You didn't see any pass rush whatsoever. So overall, when you look at the fact that the 49ers had 180 yards on the ground, I don't blame that necessarily for all the defensive line, but they do share some of the blame. Um, I'm going to give the unit a a B-. minus. Yeah, and one thing I will say is I actually thought for really the first time this season, uh, Mario Williams looked good in the beginning of this game before exiting with an undisclosed illness that uh, Omar Kelly, I guess, described as he looked like he was at death's door um, when he saw him in the locker room after the game. So, I mean, uh, if Mario Williams can pick up the slack and be even half of the player he used to be down the stretch here, that could be a pivotal thing for this, this Dolphins team. So hopefully we'll, we'll see that happen. Yeah, he, he's got to he's got to be in there more consistently. I, I can't believe Terrence Fidei is was not cut after the Bengals game um, for his special teams gaffe, hitting the punter after the play, tough guy. And then after that, he does nothing when he's out on the field. I mean, I, I understand Deion Jordan's not ready to play yet, but I'm thinking Terrence Fidei's never ready to play. So you, you may as well get Jordan out there, not to mention he probably could have spied Kaepernick in this game simply because of his size and speed combination. But... Hopefully Jordan gets on the field throughout the end of the year because he could make an interesting difference. And I will say, too, I think the Dolphins missed Jason Jones in this game. Jones at least is consistent at DN to defensive tackle. Uh, The linebacker spot, Paul, Kiko Alonso, great game with 12 tackles and an interception and also had a hand in the final play of the game, too. What do you think about the linebackers? Well, not just that. Don't forget he had had the fumble recovery as well after Byron Maxwell forced that fumble. Yeah, he did. Um, That was pretty important, too. I think Butler still continues to play okay. I really need to see more Neville Hewitt out there. Um, Jelani Jenkins was back to meh in this game, but, but Kiko does continue to excel as we're moving forward here. So, for me, I, I give these guys 
a beat, but mainly and predominantly on the play of Kiko Alonso. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on not on the grade, but uh, on the analysis. Kiko had a great game: twelve tackles, an interception, fumble recovery, and that last play of the game. And I, he just adds so much to the middle of that defense. But other than that, the outside linebackers. I mean, I, I'd give Kiko an A, and I'd give the outside linebackers an F. I mean, uh, I, I thought Butler. It was his usual self. I thought Jelani Jenkins had continues to have horrible football games where he misses tackles left and right, and he's also a step slow in coverage, which is unlike him. Um, Neville Hewitt, I, 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 a guy I've been really high on, I, I, I think he was up and down in this contest too. And you look here, Paul, at the uh, how, how the Niners were able to move the ball. It was largely through these backup tight ends. You know, the... Uh, Vance Vance McDonald and and Derek Carrier and these types of players who should not be getting open for twenty thirty yard gains. Um, shame on the on the outside linebackers. But overall, I'm going to give the linebacker unit um, a D plus. I was not impressed. Actually, let's go with a C minus because of Kiko Alonso. But I was not impressed with this unit in this game. Luckily, Alonso brings the grade up. Uh, how about the defensive back spot, Paul? I know we had one game this year where they had three interceptions. Uh, but I think this was arguably the best game we've seen out of the secondary. I think Bakari Rambo probably played the best he's played since he got here. East Abdul Kudis was inches away from a game-breaking interception. And then Byron Maxwell and Tony Lippett continue to give some pretty good receivers fits. They were blanketing these guys all day long. And really, if there's any unit that was a huge difference maker in terms of the outcome of this game, it was those guys because with Colin Kaepernick's mobility, they had to stay with their receivers a little bit longer than usual and they got the job done. And Byron Maxwell continues to prove that he does belong here after all, after the miscues that we saw from them early in this year, Bobby McCain, I thought had a phenomenal game as well. I can't leave him out of this because he's on the field a hell of a lot. Yeah. I thought this was Bobby McCain's best game too, as a, as a dolphin all over the field. And yeah, I am with you. I mean, I, I, I don't lay any of the blame to, to the defensive backs. I thought Bakari Rambo played a little bit better, probably the worst out of this unit still, but you know, Michael Thomas and, and IAQ are making us, I'm not going to say forget about Rashad Jones, but they're filling in really well for him at the corner spot. Yet not tested all that often, but when they were, they largely answered the call. Uh, the receivers for the wide receivers for the 49ers combined for just 12 catches. The leading guy was Rod Streeter with just four catches for 46 yards. Maxwell really cranked it up um, in the final drive, too. I mean, uh, you look at the last two plays, it was all over Torrey Smith um, on the second to last play. And then in the final play, he, Kaepernick was looking uh, toward Byron Maxwell, and Maxwell had, had his guy perfectly covered. Quarterbacks are have only allowed only have fifty four point seven percent completion percentage this year. Looking at Byron Max Byron Maxwell's way, really since he was benched against Cincinnati, another guy who's answered the call is Byron Maxwell and and Tony Lippa. Yeah, steps slow on the Torrey Smith touchdown, but overall, you know, I, I think he's getting better and better every week. I'm I'm really excited to see this cornerback spot when Xavier Howard returns to the lineup too to help out. So yeah, I, I give them. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give them a B plus. A few issues um, with penalties, and, and the safeties did let up uh, some plays to the tight ends in front of them. And you know, hey, they did throw for 300 yards too. So I'm going to I'm going to give them a B plus in the day. Paul, what's your grade for the defensive backs? Uh, a minus here. Okay. 
Got it. So uh, the finally the special teams unit. Kenyon Drake breaks another tackle. The the kick returners definitely talent wise when you look at Jarvis Landry, Jakeem Grant, Kenyon Drake. Uh, without question, the most talented returning un- return unit in the league. But I tell you, Paul, I'm done with Jakeem Grant back there. This is his third fumble in third three games. Yeah, he got it back, but it, it pinned the Dolphins inside their own 10-yard line. Not saying we should cut the guy, but I think deactivating him for a couple of weeks would, would send the message. You can't not as a kick returner, be turning the ball over. You're giving possessions away and usually deep in your own territory, too. And when he takes the ball out of the end zone, you know, he rarely gets it back to the 25-yard line. So I want to see Jarvis Landry back there, especially when he's healthy. Uh, Matt Darr, again, fantastic game. Andrew Franks boots the ball out of the end zone all the time. Uh, Hits every kick that he's asked to to make, too. And the Dolphins did well controlling... Uh, Jacory Shepard on kick return and punt return too. So, Paul, uh, uh, overall, I'm going to give besides the Jim Grant muff that you know I thought this unit did very well. I'm going to give him a B plus. Yeah, it's, it's, this unit's another unit that that I give a B plus to as well. Actually, I, I don't think Matt Dar had his best day as a doll. Um, he did have one short punt in, in a critical moment during this game. Luckily, it didn't come back to bite the Dolphins too hard. I thought the coverage units did well. Like you said, Kenyon Drake looked phenomenal returning the ball. I actually do not want to see Jarvis Landry returning punts, even though he's good at it. I do not want to see Jarvis Landry returning kicks, even though he, you know, can obviously do the job. Uh, I think he's too critical to our offense. I'd rather see Kenyon Drake get a spin returning punts, which I know he hasn't done too, too often, but you know what? You watch what he can do on a kickoff return. Hopefully he can do something with the punts as well. I, I'm not done with Jakeem Grant. I think he had those muffs a few weeks ago that really got into his head, and he needs to find his way out of it. And if it is being inactive for a couple of weeks, great. If it's finding a way to get him a little bit involved with some design screens and reverses on offense, great. Gase needs to figure out a way, though, to to help him get that confidence back because I think that that's what is lacking for this guy right now. And we've seen how explosive he can be if given the chance. So I don't know. They need to figure something out with this guy because he does have a hell of a lot of talent. But I'm all for for I'm all for Jakeem Grant. I am all for Jakeem Grant uh, finding his way out of this. I just want it to be done in practice because right now, to me, he's the third best kick returner on the team when you factor everything in. And I don't want to waste a roster spot on the active 45-man roster on game day for somebody who's tr- a rookie who's trying to figure it out. I think those possessions are too important at this point. And I, I do want to see Jarvis Landry returning punts because I think he's the best in the business at it. But anyway, Paul, what's your what's your overall grade on the special teams? Uh, it's, it's a B-plus as well. It's Frank's 5-for-5 five five on, on the kicks that he had for the day. Kicked a bunch out of the end zone. Probably the strongest day we've seen from Frank's actually this season, which is great to see as we're, as we're hitting a very critical stretch here. Yeah, and a very critical stretch indeed. And I tell you, I, I haven't done so in the show yet, but I have, I've got to sing some praises for Mike Tannenbaum and, and how he's constructed this roster. I've never been a Mike Tannenbaum fan. I didn't like him with the Jets. Uh, I didn't like how he was the consultant for Steve Ross, and then he consulted that he become the general manager. Then Dennis Hickey gets ousted out of there, and... But I'll tell you what, I mean, you look at, besides the Mario Williams signing, you look at at the drafts the last two years. 
2015, you, you get Devontae Parker, Jay Ajayi, Jordan Phillips, McCain, Lippitt. And then 2016, you draft Laramie Tunzel. Uh, Xavier Howard, I think, will be a good player. Kenyon Drake, Leonte Carew, and um, uh, Jakeem Grant, I think, are weapons. Uh, for this organization. Uh, and then you look at a move I bashed at the time, trading from eight down to 13, you come away with Laramie Tunzel, Byron Maxwell, and Kiko Alonso. I mean, that's looking like the trade of the century right now. I mean, I, I give so much credit to Mike Tannenbaum for putting this roster together, not to mention the the offensive linemen you pick up off the street that have, have done a serviceable job too. Man, oh man, I, I, I get, Mike Tannenbaum, I've gone from, screw this guy, he needs to be fired now, what I was thinking in week five to, man, oh, man, this might be general manager of the year or whatever he is. I mean, front office guy of the year. Note to self, in our review of San Francisco game, Cat complimented profusely Mike Tannenbaum. All right. Sorry. I just had to write that down for a second because, wow. Wow. I mean, I, I'm with you on it, but you were definitely far the other spectrum from me on that one. It's not, I mean, it's, he has done a phenomenal job here. I mean, we've got to remember he did build some pretty special things early on with our ever beloved New York Jets um, in the past that did implode, but he's really seemed to have learned from that and built a roster here with the help of Dennis Hickey, with the help of Chris Greer, with the help of the coaching staff that seems designed for the long haul, which is what I really want. I don't want one-year success from this team. I want a team that in 15 years, people are sitting there still hating us as Dolphins fans with all the other bandwagon fans out there following right along with the Dolphins, which, hey, welcome aboard. You know, get on now while while it's good. I'm happy, to, I'm happy with the job he's done, and, and kudos to you for calling him out on that. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I, I am... You just look at the last two drafts. I mean, to come away with a player like Devontae Parker, who's six four two ten and can make the plays that he can when he's healthy, and Laramie Tunzel is probably a franchise left tackle. You're going to have these guys on rookie contracts. Jay Ajayi, probably a Pro Bowl running back, who gives your offense a completely different look and a different powerful identity. I mean, you've got a lot of players on this offense. Um, even taking Tannehill out of the equation, you've got Jay Ajayi, Devontae Parker, Kenny Stills, uh, Jarvis Landry, Jawan James, and and Laramie Tunzel, who are not even 25 yet. I mean, that is a great sign of, of, of personnel coming together on this. So I do give Mike Tannenbaum uh, all the credit in the world because I, I dogged the guy for years. And it's not to say that this is over, but right now he's doing a great job. And, and this is going to sound really odd to say here. Miami might have two young running backs that are in their first couple of years in the league here that go to the Pro Bowl this year because there is that outside shot that Kenyon Drake could claw his way in the return game. Yeah. You never know. Uh, I mean, so Miami could logistically end up sending Jay Ajayi and Kenyon Drake to the Pro Bowl. Yeah, you're, Ryan yeah. Hanhill yeah. has yeah. made his argument. Uh, Kenny Stills, Devontae Parker, Jarvis Landry, they've all made arguments, as have various people on the offensive line. Tight end, I hate to break it to you folks. I like Deion Sims. I like Marquise Gray. Don't love Jordan Cameron, who's obviously not going. Uh, they're not going anywhere. But... Numerous other positions around the offense. Numerous positions on the defense. Miami could be sending a lot of people to the Pro Bowl. And I hate to break it, folks. Miami might be in the playoffs, so they have a shot at not sending anybody to the Pro Bowl. So 
Yeah, absolute kudos out there. Yeah, Chris Landry, Devontae Parker, if, if they hadn't got hurt, then maybe we'd be talking about it. I think Parker was too far behind, and I think Landry now is not going to have the numbers. But I understand your point on that. Overall, I think Jaye and Dominican Sue and Cameron uh, Cameron Wake end up going to the Pro Bowl from the Dolphins. Um, yeah, and, and that, that is – that's the, we were talking about the running back spot at the beginning of the year – as hey, this is a unit we can expect to be weak. I, I can't remember the numbers I gave a few weeks or last week, but it was like who would have thought that our running backs would combine be combined for what five point three yards a carry, fourteen overall touchdowns, uh, and we might be sending two running backs to the Pro Bowl. I mean, who who would have thought that? Again, another sign of good personnel coming together and a coach in Adam Gase. We have found our guy here and there. So Paul, we've gone pretty far past our time here to, uh, but hey, we've got a lot of exciting stuff to talk about. So anything else you'd like to add tonight, Paul? Um, not so much. Uh, I, I, I'm ecstatic. I'm really hoping Miami can get one of the toughest games they've got left over the next few weeks out of the way here against the Ravens. If they can beat the Ravens, that really sets them up well for a lot of, a lot of head-to-head scenarios um, that could come up with the playoffs. So this is, this is definitely a very critical game for them here moving forward because essentially beating the Ravens gives a couple of teams in the NFC North a chance to possibly take over up there and that is a little more which Miami would have control the head-to-head against them and it could be a very critical game when push comes to shove uh, after week 17. So this is going to be a big one coming up. I know we got a lot to talk about throughout the week this week. Yeah, we're going to have Alex Benty on uh, giving us the Ravens preview from the other sideline. Uh, we'll look out for that this week. And uh, you know, it, yeah, it's 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 incredible when they play, when the if the season ended today, the Miami Dolphins would be the number six seed in the playoffs based on a tiebreaker. And by the time they play the Ravens uh, on Sunday, it will have been 55 days since the Dolphins last lost a football game on October 9th. Can you believe that? Uh, so, man, oh, man, if they beat the Ravens and they, they get a leg up here in the wild card, it's exciting. But, hey, if they lose to the Ravens, they lose to the Cardinals, they're back down to 7-6. and six. Now we're talking about an 8-8 eight and eight season again. So, best of luck to the Dolphins here moving forward. Overall, I, I think they've already exceeded our expectations. So, that'll do it for us here. You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on iTunes, and YouTube. I'm Brian Cat Catanzaro, joined by Paul Pick, and you can follow us on Twitter as well. And if it's not on the right side and it's not on the left side, it is on the fin side. Solo D, take us home. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fin side. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fin Listen, Dolphins fans across the land all tuning in To see what Brian, Cat, and Paul about to do again We rep our team, you can't change, stop or ruin it All we need is to figure what to do to win Fans radio, live and direct Win or lose, we showing up for every contest No puppet talk, it's all raw and unfiltered Voice of the fans when the season looks peculiar Rockin' Apple Orange over here, then you familiar to fulfill the crap we have to hear about our team and all the latest news Vets the rookies trying to make the team paying dues Current players and alumni interviews City to city, state to state, follow the moves Call the hotline, Dolphins talk, set to go Best sports team and show all across the globe Fin It ain't the left side or the right side
so low, so low.